God and Father, we thank you for raising Jesus from the dead, that his resurrection is our resurrection. Help us to see that our resurrection is not just something that happens in the future, which it will with our physical bodies, but that resurrection occurs the minute we begin trusting in you and are born again in Christ. And help us to see that the Christian life is all about experiencing resurrection power as we receive help and strength from you to live under the reign and rule of Jesus in our lives that results in a flourishing, joy-filled kind of life. I pray that every word I say would be from you and for your glory alone, Lord Jesus. I ask for your, your help and power and anointing in this moment that would clearly communicate your message for your honor. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I now invite Bill. He is going to come forward and read today's scripture. He is taller than I am, hence raising the sand. Okay, good morning. I've got Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Thank you very much, Bill. Today, the title of today's message is two words. He arose. He arose. And for Jesus to rise from the dead, this assumes that he was once dead. That's amazing to think about, that God was dead. God was dead for a time. And what I want us to do now is to take in a quick video that that helps to explain some of the things that occurred to Jesus uh, when he died for us. And so, here we go. Thank you. 
says that Jesus was slaughtered on that first Good Friday. He was slaughtered for you and for me. All our iniquities, all of our sins committed against God and other people were laid upon Jesus at the moment of the cross when he's hanging there. And yet, amazingly, Jesus did not open his mouth to defend himself. He just let it happen. And he let the slaughter occur without pushing back. Now, why would he do that? Why would Jesus, God the Son, allow himself to be slaughtered and wear our sins on that cross? It is because you mean, and I mean, that much to Jesus that he chose the cross. He knew that the only way that your sins and my sins could be completely and utterly, totally paid for is if he, as God the Son, who never once himself sinned, it was only if God would die for our sins and he would die what would become the most, one of the most painful and excruciating deaths in human history. In fact, the word excruciating is very much tied into what the cross experience was like. You see, what we need to know about the death of Jesus is that not only did he undergo and experience agonizing physical pain, wearing a crown of thorns shoved down onto his head, he was whipped nearly to the point of death. He was almost dead by the time he got to the cross, and then at the cross, spikes were literally driven through his hands and his feet, a spear into his side. Not only did he experience all of that physical pain, which was unfathomably agonizing, but perhaps even worse, on that cross, Jesus experienced agonizing psychological and emotional pain, mental pain, spiritual pain. Because, you see, the reason that he was undergoing horrific psychological, spiritual, mental pain was because that which he hated most was being heaped upon him, that being human sin. And because that all of our sins collectively placed upon Jesus at the cross, in that moment, Jesus is separated from that which he loves most, which is God the Father. So that which he hates most is upon him, and he is then separated from the person that he loves most, that being the Father. And this is all happening in the cross experience. And so Jesus endured all of that pain, physical pain, psychological pain, and sheer agony for you and for me on that first Good Friday. Are you getting a bit of a sense of how much you mean to Jesus, how deeply and truly and fully loved by Jesus you are. You are. You are treasured and valued and loved by Jesus more than you can understand, more than you can comprehend. No one loves you more than Jesus. And he proved that no one loves, loves you more than Jesus. He proved it by his great love for you on the cross. He underwent the most horrific act of torture ever, and he demonstrated and displayed the greatest act of love the universe has ever seen. The greatest act of love in human history. This is what we believe the cross to be. God, your creator, your maker, the one who formed, made you, put you together in your mother's womb, he chose to die for you. Now, there are some skeptics out there. They argue about the existence of Jesus Maybe he wasn't actually a real live person in human history. 
further. If that didn't happen, well, then the crucifixion didn't happen. And there are some skeptics out there who say it didn't happen. It's a big fat myth, a big fat lie. But I am saying it is not. I would say this, and this is a little bit harsh, but no one in their right mind should ever say or believe that Jesus did not die on a cross 2,000 years ago. Look what Lee Strobel says about this, and he's quoting an atheist. And Lee Strobel is known as one of the strongest Christian apologetics, uh, apologists who defend Christianity, and he's very intelligent, very smart, does his research, does his homework, and he quotes, or he is quoted by saying, was Jesus really executed? Well, the evidence is so strong that even atheist historian Gerd Ludman said that his death by crucifixion is indisputable. So basically the atheists are saying, of course it happened, indisputable. World-renowned atheists are even believing this, and it's true. So now, let us see what happens three days after Jesus was slaughtered and killed for you and I. What happens three days later? And uh, we're going to reread the section that Bill read for us because it is so powerful and so meaningful and so important for us to digest this and understand this. And so let's look at verse 1 uh, together, and here's what it says. You can get your own Bible, Bible app or read on the screen. Here's what verse 1 says. Now, after the Sabbath, this happened on the Sabbath, by the way. That's why we worship on the Sabbath. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for the local church. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, you've got to know that the, these two Marys, these two women, they are incredibly courageous. They are amazingly faithful. They are willing to put their lives on the line in order to honor Jesus. I don't see any guys around doing this, but the women are doing this. And it is literally putting their lives at risk in going this path. And what these two Marys are going to do here is going, they're going to Jesus' tomb, and they are going there to put even more embalming spices onto the dead, shattered, wrecked body of Jesus. He is, well, they think, is a corpse. And they're trying to preserve his body so that it doesn't decompose at such a rapid rate in a day and age where there's no refrigeration. Then look at verse 2, if you have it in front of you. Verse 2 says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and then sat on it. And this is amazing, because we see the very power of God here. This angel arrives from heaven from being in the presence of God. This angel sends an earthquake, perhaps to unseal the tomb stone. And there's an earthquake that's shaking the ground. Then the angel, these are, these are very powerful beings, rolls back that tombstone and then sits on it. This is just seems like very matter-of-fact stuff. Amazing. And so God has dispatched his angel to do this, something very important, to literally open up the tomb of Jesus Christ, at which point we see something amazing again happen. In verse 3 it says, his appearance, the angel, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. This is amazing because very often in other parts of the Bible, when angels show up on the scene to show themselves to people, people generally tend to get very scared and afraid. Why is that? 
Well, it's because angels, their appearance very often is like lightning. Have you ever looked at lightning? It is about the brightest kind of light you can imagine. Blazing white in color is this angel. Glory everywhere because they've just been in the presence of God and they're emanating the very glory of God and the brightness of God. And if you see an angel, you're probably in, your eyes are in pain. You're probably shielding your eyes with your own hands because of the sheer brightness all around. So no wonder the guards, they were dispatched to guard the tomb where Jesus' body was to ensure that no one could break in, steal the body of Jesus, etc. Well, no wonder when they see this angel, they run off and it's like they're screaming like little kids. Ah! I mean, these are men, supposedly. These are so-called battle-hardened soldiers here. But you see, they had never seen, I think you and I would react the same way. They'd never seen anything this glory-filled and bright as this angel because this angel has just brought an earthquake and then effortlessly pushing that tombstone off to the side and then sitting on it like a boss. But I don't know if you've... Maybe you've forgotten some other people in this story. There's a couple other people in this story that we may have forgotten by looking at this angel and the scene in and around the angel and the soldiers... We still have two Marys here. And these are not, these are women that are not as scared as these battle-hardened soldiers. They're tougher than those soldiers, right? Isn't that cool? They're more brave. And let's look at what these women are doing in verses 5 and 6. It says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. All right, so what the angel is doing here is the angel is pointing to empirical, undeniable, physical proof that Jesus' body is not in the tomb. The tomb is empty. He's not there. Tomb empty. Now, over the years, over the centuries, skeptics have tried to make the case that Jesus' resurrection did not happen because they know, you know why they say the resurrection didn't happen? They know that if, if you take away, if you undercut the resurrection of Jesus, all of Christianity falls like a house of cards. You got nothing. Nothing there. No foundation. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. You got nothing without the resurrection of Jesus. But notice what Lee Strobel says to the resurrection skeptics. Was Jesus' tomb empty? Scholar William Lane Craig points out that its location was known to Christians and non-Christians alike. So if it hadn't been empty, it would have been highly unlikely for a movement founded on the resurrection to have exploded into existence in the same city where Jesus had been publicly executed just a few weeks before. So Jesus was truly, bodily, physically resurrected from the dead death to life. The angel proves this to the two Marys. It's empty. Then what happens in the rest of the passage, 7 through 10, we're going to look at those verses. It says, the angel's still speaking to the women, then go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them. There he is. And he said, greetings. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let me recap. The angel tells the two Marys, Go and share the great news of of Jesus' resurrection. Share that with the 11 remaining disciples. So off they go as fast as these women can, and then it happens, they run into Jesus himself, the risen Jesus. Imagine that you are one of these two Marys in that moment. There's Jesus. Is your head not sort of spinning in this moment? I think it is. Because, you know, you've just heard and seen that Jesus is risen from the dead, and then you've had an angel talk to you not too long before that. Okay, so here's Jesus. He's greeting you. He says greetings. I mean, and he's doing it very warmly. There's a lot going on in a, a very short period of time here. And when the two Marys, they see Jesus with their own eyes, they are thrilled. They're scared, but they're thrilled. They're excited. They're so full of joy. They can hardly contain themselves. Jesus is alive. He arose. He arose. What do they do next upon seeing Jesus? Well, they rightly, they bow before Jesus. They take hold of Jesus' literal feet, his risen feet, to express their humble worship, and their adoration of Jesus. This is a beautiful true story. This really happened. You see, three days later, after the worst day in history, where God the Son was murdered for your sins and for mine, slaughtered for your sins and for mine, worst day in history. Well, three days later, the best day in history occurs, where God the Son, he overcomes the grave, he kills death, He kills death, and he proves his total and absolute victory over Satan, sin, and death forevermore. Praise be to Jesus. This is good. Best day ever. And what I want to do now is to take you through a few brief Bible passages elsewhere that better explain more clearly why the resurrection of Jesus is crucially important for you and for me. So let's go. Let's do this. Let's look at this. John chapter 12, verse, verses 23 and 24, it says, And Jesus answered them, he's talking to his disciples, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, Jesus said these words about the seed before his own resurrection. And so he's giving everyone sort of a prophetic heads up about what is going to happen here. That he is going to be glorified. That's code speak for being resurrected. And the the, the very interesting word picture that he shares with them and with us today is that of a grain of wheat. I grew up on a farm. My dad grew wheat on the prairie. And wheat seed is only about that big. All right? They're very small. And they, when they become... They fall off the, the, the stem, if you will. They become very hard when it's hardened and when it's dried. All right, That seed, for all intents and purposes, was alive, but now it's dead. It is dry. There's no life, visible life in that wheat seed. However, once you place that seed in the ground and it begins to receive water and the, the nutrients found in the soil and the warmth from the sun, what happens to that 
formerly dead seed, it springs to life, bursts, in, bursts into life. And that one seed can go on over time to produce hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of other wheat seed grains of wheat. And so, do you see where Jesus is going here? He is using this word picture of a seed. He's the seed. He's the seed. He is the seed that will help you and I also benefit from his resurrection. He is the seed that comes to life after his death. You see, unless Jesus died on the cross and then rose again three days later, there would be no fruit. And we are the fruit, by the way. There would be no hope for you or I. There would be no resurrection for you or I unless Jesus' body was literally raised from the dead, come up out of the ground, unless he reemerged in glorified, powerful form, we would have no hope at all. He's our seed. He's our resurrection. He's our hope. He's our har- we are his harvest. And here's the hope-giving point that Jesus is driving home for us. It's the first point on the sermon outline. There is one in your bulletin if you do want to follow along. Number one is this. Simply, Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. His resurrection is our resurrection. Did you know that if you were a follower of Jesus, that if you trust and believe that Jesus accomplished salvation for you, he paid the price for your sins and you believe that, if you submit to Christ's kingship and rule in your life, then that means his resurrection is yours. That the fruit and the harvest of Jesus rising from the dead, it includes you. And you are now a part of his harvest. That because Jesus rose up from the dead and was glorified, so also will you, Christian, someday you will rise up from the dead someday in a glorified new resurrection body Raised with power. Yes, it's true. Jesus' resurrection is your resurrection. And the older I get, the more I'm looking forward to that new resurrection body. But that's only there as a hope in my life because of him. Here's what this means. Death is not the end for the Christian. No, no, no. Death is not the end for the Christian. In fact, that's just a new beginning for you. It's a new beginning, living a new life in the new heavens, in the new earth, with Jesus, with God's people, in a new resurrection body. That's powerful. Raised in power, like Jesus' body was raised in power. Jesus has killed death to allow you to beat death. He beat death so you can beat death to save you from a horrible, death-filled eternity. This is good news. Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. Next passage I want to share with you to unpack the meaning of his resurrection is Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And it says this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. That's what Christian baptism by immersion symbolizes. You go down into the water. You're dying to your own life. You being boss of your own life. You come up out of the water. You're raised to a new life. It's a beautiful picture of resurrection. Buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that leads us to our second point in our notes. Simply, Jesus' resurrection gives us access to resurrection power for life in the here 
and now. We now have access to resurrection power here and now only because Jesus was resurrected. When you become a Christian, here's a bit of that process and what that looks like. When you become a Christ follower, the Bible teaches in that moment of conversion, you are reborn. You are born again. Okay? And in that moment of being reborn, you are undergoing what Ezekiel chapter 36 refers to as a spiritual heart transplant. Your sinful heart of stone is removed and it is replaced with a brand new heart of flesh. When God the Holy Spirit, he comes to live within you and he dwells within you. And it's beautiful, it's intimate, and it's powerful. And when this spiritual heart transplant occurs in you, you are reborn and you are actually spiritually resurrected in that moment. Spiritual resurrection happens the day, the minute, the second of your conversion towards Christ. Yes, you will be resurrected later physically when Jesus returns. But when you become a Christian, you make Jesus your Lord, God, Master, and King, King of your life. You receive in that moment full access to new resurrection power to help you live. We all need more power to live, to live for Christ, to live his way versus our own way, to live with joy. That's what he offers. That's what he gives to us. And when you are born again and this sinful stony heart is replaced with this heart of flesh and the Holy Spirit lives within you because you trust in Christ, you find yourself sinning less and less as time goes on and living a more holy lifestyle more and more. You're still a piece of work after your conversion, yes, but you start to change. You know why? It's because resurrection power is taking effect in you. Sin's dominating, addicting grasp is starting to weaken in your life because God's grasp is strengthening in your life. And you are undergoing in this new birth situation inner transformation. He is changing you from the inside out. Heaven is filling your heart more and more as time goes on. Eternal life is filling your heart and your mind and your spirit more and more. It's a beautiful thing. Resurrection power is available. Resurrection starts the moment of you turning towards Christ. That's how it works. And the amazing thing, what I love about Christianity is how practical it is. I I can't imagine myself, where I'd be without Christ. And I am a special piece of work, in my opinion, and I think in the opinions of most people that know me. I mean, without the, the, the presence of Christ in my life, I can't imagine what I'd be like. And what happens when you give your life to Christ and you are born again, you start to discover some very good things occur in you. And it takes time, but you start to find that your marriage is healthier, Because your focus is less about you and it's more on your spouse and vice versa. When that's happening both ways, that's a beautiful thing. You start to find your parenting is much more patient, much more understanding, much more compassionate, much more wise. You find your attitude at work much more positive in general and less negative, less fear-filled. You find, as a Christian who has been born again, living out and trusting in resurrection power in your life, in general, you find that your overall mental state is less anxious over time, it's less depressed over time, it's less paranoid over time, and rather it's much more confident and much more peace-filled and much more joy-filled. This is why I am all about Christianity. 
It's just very practical. It helps. I can't imagine myself without Christ. I can't imagine. You think I'm a piece of work now. I mean, it's scary. It's scary. He is that good. Who doesn't want more of resurrection power in your life, resurrection transformation? Who doesn't want to to look and sound and act and think more and more like Jesus over the course of your life? Because this person that we're aiming and desiring to look and sound and act more and more like Jesus is the most beautiful person in the universe. And we desire to to emulate his beauty in our lives because that's the sweet spot. That's what we were made for. That's what you were made for, to be like Christ. And he helps you become more like him. He's basically done everything for you. You just trust in his power. Who doesn't want full and free access to this kind of resurrection power? It is yours. It is accessible to you if you turn to Jesus and you obey him. Let's move on to the final passage that teaches about the significant importance of the resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. This is sort of the, the, the harsh, intense part of the message, so bear with me. It says, And many of you uh, who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Here we see Daniel... He is giving us a picture of the end. It's like the end of the book. This is the culmination of human history. It's what everything is is moving towards. This is judgment day. And interestingly, everyone will be resurrected on judgment day, whether they have followed Christ or not. Yes, some will be resurrected to, to new life, and then begin to enjoy resurrection life, new heavens, new earth, no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, with Jesus, with God's people forevermore. It doesn't get any better. But others will be resurrected to something much worse. Others will be resurrected to shame and everlasting contempt in a place called hell. It is a real place. And that leads us to our final point in your notes, number three. Jesus' resurrection should lead you to make a decision that will affect your eternity, everlasting life or everlasting contempt. You know, there's no reason that on a day like Easter Sunday, there's no reason that a day like today can't be a decision day for you. And I want you to consider what you're going to do with the resurrection of Jesus. What are you going to do with this? You've got to think about what you're going to do with his resurrection. Here's why, according to Yaroslav Pelikan, he says, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. It's that important. If Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And he is risen. It's true. It's undeniable. Historical fact. And so I urge you, if you are not yet a Christian, would you choose to respond to Jesus on this Easter Sunday with repentance of your sins turning a 180, turning away from me just living my own life by my own set of rules, my own way, by self-will. No, I'm saying no to that because that ain't working. I'm saying I'm repenting. I'm turning, I'm pulling a 180. Now I'm following you, Jesus, over here, living your life your way imperfectly. But I'm going your direction. That's repentance. It's repentance. It's faith. Do you trust in what Jesus has accomplished for you when he was slaughtered on the cross? Do you believe that? You, he earned salvation for, for you in your place because you can't earn your own way to heaven. He did it for you. 
you believe in his finished work on the cross and you believe that he rose again three days later for you, if you want to pursue repentance and faith and baptism, let's have a conversation. I'm happy to talk. That's one of, those are my favorite conversations to have or talk to a Christian friend uh, that you know today. Let me uh, end things with a, a quick video for you to sort of bring it all together and to bring it home. Let's uh, watch that now. The king is dead. But this king is not gone forever. The story has not ended. There is a twist. A third act. There is a third day. And on that third day, the king will strip death of its power and extinguish the sting of Hades. This king is not defeated. This king is not destroyed. This king is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The king has returned, leaving death behind destroying hate, inviting us all to live in his victory, in his kingdom, in his peace. Yes, the king has risen. Thank you for inviting us to live in your victory, to live in your kingdom, to be a part of your family forever. We certainly don't deserve it. We are all sinners. We are experts in disobeying you, living our own lives, desiring to be our own gods, be our own bosses, and yet you reach out to us and send your own son to live our life, to die our death, and rise again. We are so grateful. Thank you for not only the, the, the hope of the resurrection, but the hope of living with resurrection power that can begin today or has begun for us. We're so grateful. You do so much for us, and we take you for granted. We take all your gospel blessings for granted. We love you, and we praise you for Good Friday and for Easter Sunday and for the resurrection. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So now we're going to uh, respond to God's word, and the way in which we are going to respond is... In three ways, we're going to worship God with some further songs expressing our gratitude to him for his resurrection. We're also going to take up uh, an offering, and the offering is for the church family uh, only. And the reason that we give uh, a portion of our finances is to help more people meet Jesus, respond to the resurrection, uh, that uh, it's all about the mission of Jesus, and that's what our offering time does. It's an act of worship, saying thank you for all that you've done for me. And we are also a church, lastly, that uh, celebrates the Lord's Supper each and every Sunday. So we invite any and every Christian to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is an act of gratitude and remembrance and celebration for all that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And so we invite any Christians to participate with us in that. 
Um, and so as the servers uh, get ready to distribute uh, communion today, let me share with you some uh, scripture that gets our minds, hearts, and spirits onto what the, the meaning of communion is about. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, uh, these words, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And so with those words, let us now participate and continue to worship as we take part in the Lord's Supper. <laughs> 